And now reading from the gospel according to Mark, I'll begin at chapter 7, verse 24, and read through verse 37. It's from the Common English Bible. Jesus left that place and went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know that he had entered a house, but, well, he couldn't hide. In fact, a woman whose young daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard him uh, uh, right away. She came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, Syrophoenician by birth. She begged Jesus to throw the demon out of her daughter. He responded, the children have to be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But she answered, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Good answer, he said. Go on home. The demon has already left your daughter. When she returned to her house, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. After leaving the region of Tyre, Jesus went through Sidon toward the Galilee Sea, through the region of the ten cities, and some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged him to place his hand on the man for healing. Jesus took him away from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue, and looking into heaven, Jesus sighed deeply and said, Ephathatha, which means open up. At once his ears opened, his twisted tongue was released, and he began to speak clearly. And Jesus gave the people strict orders not to tell anyone. But the more he tried to silence them, the more eagerly they shared the news. People were overcome with wonder, saying, He does everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Amen. Were you listening? Were you listening closely? Were you listening to a story well enough to catch some of the details that might just slip by when we read our text a moment ago? Friends, what happens when Jesus does not sound like the Jesus you grew up hearing about? What happens when Jesus responds with answers that, depending on how you interpret it, they don't always make us feel good? We know that Jesus wants, are you ready? <gasps> Cursed a fig tree. That was a plant. Well, in this text, it's hard to say exactly what some of his comments meant to this woman. We know he's not so nice when he cleared the temple of money changers and their tables, but I mean, those were religious people who should have known better. And if you're looking at me and hoping I'll explain this one away, I'm not sure I can. It appears, if we're honest, Jesus even had some moments, let's just say, that challenge us to hear and see him in lots of different kinds of ways. So what's going on? in this story and why am I feeling uncomfortable as I look at it again? Maybe you feel that way. Jesus is in new territory and he's discussing new circumstances outside his itinerary but not outside of his attention. 
a non-Israelite mother begging for her demon-possessed daughter to be healed approaches him. Is there something wrong, anything wrong with wanting healing for one's child? I don't think so at all. Is there something unusual here? Did not Jesus just say elsewhere, ask and you'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened unto you? We know those words. Why is the asking and seeking of this Syrophoenician woman for her child's healing seemingly knocked at least a little bit? By Jesus. Why does he tell her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? Who's he calling dog? Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? It's not clear to me. She didn't ask for food. She asked that her demon-possessed daughter be healed. Now, this is a troubling text. First, Jesus goes off the itinerary to a place entering a house where he did not want to be known. Did you catch that? Why did he not want to be known? Hmm, I'm not sure. I have some ideas. Next, he is approached by this Syrophoenician woman who happens to be out of bounds in his plan, his saving, healing plan. Then Jesus responds to her request in a way that seems off the chart for his normal approach, at least what we have heard so much about. She wants healing for her demon-possessed daughter, but Jesus' reaction and response seems to indicate that she has, well, a pre-existing condition. Because of who she was, where she was from, she and all her people, by the way, were known as dogs. Now, we do know that this is Mark's gospel and that the author has a certain plan for keeping Jesus' identity and how he presents the gospel and, and keeping Jesus' whereabouts. Uh, there's a certain level of secrecy that Mark tends to use throughout his writings. We also know that Mark leaves out some of the details. So if some want to believe we are witnessing the fact that Jesus was not uh, above being a man of his own time and carried with him a certain sense of cultural uh, biases and so forth, I can't stop you. Or if you prefer to believe that the confusion we find in this text has more to do with Mark's style and just the way that he does things, I, I can't stop you. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree with either one of those things, but I, I believe more important than those possibilities, this story is an example of what happens, are you ready, when hope finds a way, when hope finds a way. Do you remember where you were the last time hope found a way? Hope in this text is a verb with legs. One of my old mentors would always say, who by the way was a Greek scholar, looking at the deep meanings of this word here and this story and elsewhere in the Hebrew, rather the Christian scriptures, the New Testament as we call it, that hope and help mean basically the same thing. It is this mother's hope that finds a way. It's echoed in the voice of an uninvited Esther in the Hebrew scriptures that says, if I perish, 
I perish. This kind of hope is uttered by Job when all was lost and he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. We do know this woman was a Gentile, a non-Israelite, not necessarily a priority in the larger scheme of Jesus' early ministry, at least in the Gospel of Mark and the way Mark tells it. Perhaps she's tried everything to help her daughter, and even now her efforts seem, well, not welcomed as warmly as if she would have been someone else from some place else. Yet in a place where Jesus goes incognito, he is recognized for who he is and what the stories say he can do for this woman. We only have the imaginations given to us by the screens of Hollywood, if you want to know the truth, as to the symptoms of her daughter. What does demon possession look like? And this text can indeed even turn one's head around and around who has studied this text, like myself, for many, many years because it's so troubling to me. Most of us cannot say we feel this text deep down in our bones and have an enthusiastic response except for the good news that hope found a way. But the truth is, and I'm talking to some of you in this room, some of us have children for whom we have cried or prayed or certainly would have carried to Jesus ourselves in a moment of Desperation, if we could have others of us know different occasions where desperation is too shy a word for the bold and growing sense of sheer dread in the center of our stomachs. Where is hope when we need it most? We have wondered in our most desperate moments. Many of us in this room know what I'm talking about. But what do we get What do we get, no pun intended, in this story? Is this woman's stubborn, no, dogged persistence? After being turned down and seemingly put down. This is what happens when hope finds a way. It is also in the turndowns and in the put-downs that we are all well aware of, of the social media turndowns and put-downs, as well as those in history. Could Jesus' remarks be an echoing critique of her culture, I wonder? His mission, after all, was to the Jews first. He had earlier said nothing outside a person could defile, but only that which came from within a person could defile? Could his remarks be a setup for a reversal of cultural biases? To let her and us know that what the culture imposed on her had defiled her solely because of her race, but not with Jesus. Maybe we're on to something. We are being reminded in this story of what happens when hope finds a way. This woman knew Jesus had something that could save her daughter, and she probably didn't have a single dime. But you know something? She was filthy rich in hope. One scholar suggests that Jesus was being sarcastic and yet equally salvific with his statement. In other words, that Jesus was not in agreement with her through the dog reference, but rather not in agreement with the narrow and biased way that the culture had judged on externals rather than internals, a culture that noticed the hue of her skin 
rather than the hope of her beautiful motherly heart. And to me, her reply seems to suggest that she follows Jesus on this. As younger folks might say it, she feels Jesus on this. Because she said, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It appears that she's not exactly crawling, but she will most assuredly accept crumbs if they come her way, if that means healing for her daughter especially. I believe this is one of those moments I like to call an any way you bless me moment. That's all one word, thanks to hyphens. An any way you bless me kind of moment. Give it a try. Can you say it with me? Any way you bless me. That's a lot of words for one word, I know. But just go with it. This is what happens when hope finds a way. Her actions seem to say, I'll be whatever. Whatever you say or anybody else says, I'll be that. Whatever. If you'll just heal my beloved child. I know my place in society might be under the table as some see me, but maybe, just maybe, you'll prepare a table for me in the presence of our enemies, she was basically saying, I think. I thought about it like this as I prepared this week. Perhaps this is the only time when being under the table is honorable. Hope is too strong to care where it has to sit down or lay down while it finds a way. May I ask you a question? Where do you see yourself in this story? I believe the story shows us that desperate hope will even put up with a put down, whether that's from one person or from a society. Hope will even put up with a put down. Howard Thurman, a man of deep insight and powerful, penetrating words, once said, to be victimized by error, but to continue making choices of integrity is to grow in grace. In other words, to know that the possibility of error is always with us while making the best choices for ourselves and those we love, that's true maturity. Like the waves of the ocean that never quit, even though the shores seem not to care. This is like what happens when hope won't quit because hope is working without ceasing around the clock, whether we notice it or not, to find a way. I believe that deep and abiding hope cannot help itself but to keep striving and to keep pushing towards a life-giving future of healing and wholeness and help. I believe that this kind of hope is at least a part of what it means when we say that we are all created in the image of God, though at times, because we are prone to discouragement and, and death and sadness, this hope fades or wanes or hides. Hope always remains alive in us until such a time as it is summoned to the surface by the recognition of our own Desperate situation. That way it's all right for Moses to stutter and be a basket case. No pun intended. I know I'm full of them this morning. It's all right for Esther to admit she is in King Xerxes' palace and up against it. 
It's all right for Job to ponder cursing God and even dying. Such is life. Everything may not happen our way, but this story of this Shiro known as the Syrophoenician woman tells us not only that hope will put up with a put-down, but that hope is alive even when we feel like death and illness is unavoidable. I want to suggest that there are some cultural language eccentricities that we simply do not understand going on in this text. And that's why so many folks, myself included, have wrestled with this story and still aren't quite sure just exactly what is really being said here. But here's what we do know. This mother found a way to get her daughter the help she really and desperately needed. And Jesus responded. Hope never quits until it finds a way. She believed whatever she had heard about him, and he responded no matter whatever cultural influences were at play. I believe this woman asked Jesus because he could supply the need, even though it seemed outside of cultural and, quite honestly, racial boundaries created within their culture. Her under-the-table faith statement caused Jesus to respond. It moved him to heal her daughter. And Jesus answered, saying, For that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Now, here's what we know about what first-century folks thought and taught about demons. They confused mental illness, most scholars believe, a great deal of the time with other kinds of serious disease and with this whole notion of, you know, gremlin-like ghostly vapors that would inhabit a person's body and take over, causing all kinds of rather jarring symptoms. And now here's what we know. With a couple thousand years of science and scholarship behind us, there is actually zero proof that such literal demons ever existed but there is overwhelming evidence that mental health, and particularly mental illness, has always existed. And that frankly, human beings have for far too long stigmatized those of us who need mental health care or therapy or medication. And the truth is many of us have lost people we love in our own lives either because their mental health was not diagnosed or treated or paid attention to soon enough or for some other reason. Others of us either know firsthand or secondhand just how important mental health truly is in a person's life. Are you aware that September is National Suicide Prevention Month? What a timely story from our scriptures. This is an excellent reminder for us that we need to be willing to check on the people we know and love and to admit ourselves when we might need some checking on. We need to be willing to endure put-downs that go along with the sick culture that's been created around mental health if it means getting the help for ourselves or someone who desperately needs it. It could very well be the difference between life and death. So if you're listening to this message, either online or in person, and you need someone to talk to, you can talk to me. 
you can call me. And there are others in this church family. If you feel more comfortable talking to them, you can talk to them, friends. In fact, would you, if you're here today, raise your hand if it's okay for somebody to talk to you if they're feeling sad or helpless or hopeless? Look around. You see those hands? Even now, hope is finding a way. And if it's all too embarrassing to speak to one of us, and you happen to be listening to this later, or you're here, maybe you're too embarrassed to write it down or you don't have a pencil, let me give you a phone number of some professionals you can call, and it's a confidential, it's a suicide prevention lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255. Friends, being a person of faith, being a strong person, these things don't mean that we're above needing help or feeling depressed or being sad. Being strong, being a person of faith, as I understand it, in fact, means seeking help when we need it. That is, the strongest kind of faith is emotional awareness of where we are. And it means advocating for those who need help. So maybe later today, if you're sad or you're worried or depressed or you know someone who might be, maybe the best way we can cooperate with hope finding a way is to check on some folks or to let someone know if we're the ones hurting. Or maybe for others, the best way you could work with hope to find a way is to go and just write some notes and do some general encouraging of some folks that you've had on your heart. If you feel that little tug at your heart, that's probably the same hope that compelled the Syrophoenician mama to cross hell and high water to get her daughter the help she so desperately needed. And the same hope is still busy finding a way to help others in you, in me, and in this beloved community. Thanks be to God. Amen.